four of rock's greatest composers came from just two bands. On Kinks and Beats Daily, we take a look at the songs and albums that exemplify the highlights of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Ray Davies, and George Harrison. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Tony Fry. This is episode number three of Kinks and Beats Daily. How many of you thought it was going to end after the second one? Don't be shy. I know what happens. All right. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, if you're new to the show, go back and listen to the first two episodes and you'll kind of get a feel for what we're doing here. Um, but I'm really stoked that some people have found it early, even before it has appeared on Apple Podcasts, including the person yesterday um, who could have been named Genevieve. So today we're talking about a, kind of an obscure Beatles track. This is one that, like Sweet Lady Genevieve yesterday, uh, really only the diehards know. Doesn't get a lot of airplay, doesn't get you know listed in many people's favorite songs, but uh, it's kind of a gem, and it's called Cry Baby Cry. And the song, you can go and listen to it on Spotify and then come back if you need to. But the song is uh, was released on November 22nd, 1968 as a track on the White Album. And I think the reason that it is sort of a forgotten song, it's track four on the fourth side of the uh, of the White Album. There was a, it was a double disc. And it's between Savo Truffle, which is a George uh, Harrison rocker, and Revolution 9. And... If you're not familiar with Revolution 9, we'll get to it eventually on this show. I actually have kind of a hot take about Revolution 9. But it's uh, it's a very lengthy, it's the longest recording the Beatles ever did. And it's it's just a sound collage. So it would be real easy, I think, for a lot of people to skip side four of the White Album in general, which would be wrong. It opens with Revolution 1, which is the acoustic version of Revolution that you do hear from time to time on the radio. Followed by Honey Pie, which is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. It's a a Paul, what John would later call Granny Music song, but it's it's catchy and it's uh, well-performed, and John actually has a pretty good guitar solo in it. And then then Savo Truffle, and then Cry Baby Cry, Revolution 9, and Good Night. That's it. That's side four. Revolution 9 being almost eight and a half minutes long kind of takes a big chunk out of that side. So there's only the six tunes. Uh, Good Night is lovely, but it's forgettable. Revolution 9, you have to be in the mood to be haunted. So side four, I guess you could make the case that it's the weakest side of the album. Despite the fact that I like Revolution, Honey Pie, uh, Savo Truffle, and Cry Baby Cry. So whatever. But it is, it is a song that, like I said, not many people beyond the diehards know. And it's actually a song that John would come back to in his career, in a way. Because some of the lyrics in this tune are borrowed from the poem, uh, Sing a Song of Sixpence. I'm going to read just a snippet of uh, the, the third chorus, or the third verse of the poem says, the king was in his counting house, counting out his money. The queen was in the parlor eating bread and honey. And so that line is is altered slightly, but it's it's used in uh, Cry Baby Cry. Then you flash forward 12 years. 
to um, cleanup time from the Double Fantasy album, the last album he recorded or that was released during his lifetime. And uh, in in that song, he reverses the genders because you got to remember that piece was written when he was on his uh, paternity leave for five years and Yoko was handling all the business affairs. So instead of the king counting the money and the queen uh, in the parlor eating bread and honey, he swapped it so the queen was making the money and the king was making the bread. But so this is something this this uh, sing a song of sixpence was obviously in John's mind because he's quoted it in at least two songs that just come to mind right off the top of my head. And, and maybe there's more if I dig around a little bit. Uh, the form of the song, nothing crazy, opens with the uh, chorus. Which is a pretty simple four line chorus. And then it just basically goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's more of a Dylan type of song structure. There's no bridge. There's no instrumental break. It's just a straight ahead poem set to music. Um, what makes the song cool is the way the band builds, drops out, builds again, drops out. Every verse has its own kind of mood. It opens with uh, a verse that's mostly just John on acoustic guitar and some light... Um, maybe brushwork by Ringo. And then Paul's got these scoopy little bass lines. I don't know where it, where it comes from. He's never really done anything like this up to the point, but it's just this like, boo, 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 almost like an alarm of some sort. Um, but then you go, you get to the chorus, you go back to the second verse, and now it's a rock song. It's gone from being a, a nice little acoustic guitar folk ballad to being a rock song. Uh, Ringo's digging in on the drums paul's bass line is all over the place and he's subdividing in a 16th note so you've got this don't don't go get that don't go go get that don't go um which almost gives it the feel that uh ringo's playing in in halftime and he's not it's a slow song but the way paul's bass line uh is is presented during those parts where it really rocks it gives the illusion that they're doing like this halftime funk groove. And if you just break down, take away John's vocals, which are kind of soft. There's a lot of falsetto stuff. Um, he's almost singing it like a lullaby. If you take that away and just listen to the band, the rhythm track on this song is really kind of groovy. And I'm not using that in a hipstery, you know, oh, hey, man, groovy, like I'm some kind of one of those guys. It's actually, there is a groove to it uh, that's very funky and cool. And then you got George just out of nowhere dropping in these really sweet uh, guitar leads that I wish there was a little bit more of because his, his the tone of his guitar sounds great. He's on a Gibson Les Paul that um, he borrowed from Eric Clapton. Uh and there's not a lot up to this point. I don't believe there's a ton of uh, Beatles recordings where George is playing a Gibson Les Paul. But the tone on his guitar is amazing. And then his touch, and we'll talk about this a lot, especially when we talk uh, about the song The End, which features all three of them doing guitar solos. But his touch is, I think, way ahead of his time because he obviously has the blues influence as well as country and 
jazz and just about everything else. But if you listen to his touch, he approaches some guitar solos almost like the uh, like the heavy metal guys that would come out of the 80s. Not so much with a thousand notes a minute, but the way he plays the guitar, the way he bends into notes, uh, the style of vibrato, uh, it's perfect for starters. It's it's why he's the best guitar player in that band is his touch, and it's and it's adaptable to whatever song he's playing. But if you listen to this one, he's putting down some cool lead guitar leads, and the vibrato and the tone and everything sounds amazing. Uh, but the real star for me is Paul's baseline through this. I mean, it is just a killer baseline. And one, I mean, this is kind of amazes me and you don't see it as much I don't think in in contemporary music. Where or I guess even music uh of the time that these songs were recorded because the focus that they put on this song which was destined to be an album track. This was not going to be a single. They knew that the second John brought it into the studio, this is an album track. But the fact that Paul delivers such an amazing uh, bass line, that Ringo's drumming, there's some creative drum work in here, that George's leads are so tight, that John's vocal delivery is so deliberate and well thought out and all that, the effort that they put into these album tracks that we would be buried third from the end on a 30 track record is uh always amazing to me and and you'll hear me say this a lot about both bands the kinks and the beatles how many songs could or should have been singles uh and you could make the case i guess that cry baby cry maybe is a b-side could have it could have uh it would have gotten some airplay here and there as a b-side What's cool about it, too, is I hear a lot of modern influence in this track, and I hear it particularly in the band Spoon, which I who I love. But the descending bass line, the way the piano is recorded, um, the way the bass and the drums are recorded, the, the recording of this and the structure of the harmonies and all that kind of stuff really has a modern vibe. This tune uh, can can fit on a playlist next to spoon and, and okay, go and, and these current bands that are actually still making rock music, Wilco, any of those guys. And I think that's cool. And, and, but I actually hear with the descending baseline, um, I hear specific influence on spoon who use that a lot. And what I'm talking about the descending baseline, it's in the verse. Um, we're in the key of E minor for this one. Uh, the 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 chorus switches to G major. E minor and G major share the same key signature. They're they're um, in harmonic equivalence. No, that's not right. But whatever. Um, so they share the same key signature. So you can go back and forth pretty easily. Uh, their relative relationship, not in harmonic. Um, so the verse is in or the chorus is in G. No big deal there. It's a one chord to a two chord to a four chord to a one chord. Not a big deal. But then you get to the verse, and it's in, in E minor, the uh, relative minor. And he does an E minor chord for two beats, an E minor major seven for two beats. So that's the half step movement. Bum, bum. Uh, then an E minor seven. So that takes, so basically the E major seven, E minor major seven, that major seven is a half step below E. 
So you've got a, a E, a G, a B, and a D sharp. All right. So if you're playing in the left hand, if you're playing the roots uh, in the left hand, you're playing the E in the left hand of the piano, and then you go down a half step to the D sharp, and and that's your um, E minor major seventh. And then it goes to just a regular E minor seven, which means that left hand goes down again because now that D sharp turns into a D. And then you've got an E minor six, which means it goes down again, uh, turning that D into a C sharp. And then it goes to a C7 chord. So you go down again, that C sharp goes down to C. And then uh, it switches to a G chord, which is the part where the, the, the band kind of goes up, bum, 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 and then back to E minor to repeat. So it's just its descending bass line. And you hear ba uh, Paul supports it on his part on the guitar, on bass guitar. Uh, the first notes he hits are the descending bass line. So even though the rest of the chord, you've got an E minor chord over those two bars, that that slight adjustment in the extension is where that descending bass line comes from. And that happens a lot. Uh, George does it next year on something. It's a C to a C major seven to a C seven. So like there's, it's uh, a progression they used a lot, both as the Beatles and in the solo careers. And it's been used a lot everywhere. But because of that, I hear that influence in Spoon. If you listen to like, Don't Make Me a Target uh, from their album, Ga 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 or whatever it's called. Uh, that tune, I think, is the, the sister to Cry Baby Cry. Just in its structure, the vibe, the the groove, the chromatic movement in the uh, verse chord structures. It's, it's very similar, and I hear a lot of that influence. Is it a direct influence? I don't know. Maybe Spoon's never heard this song, but I find it hard to believe because they have referenced the Beatles before, and this seems like one of those songs that cool people would say they like. So that's Cry Baby Cry. I like this song. See what I did there? Um, and I encourage you to go listen to it. It's on Spotify, obviously, with the rest of the catalog. I prefer the new 2018 remix. But listen to both of them. Listen to the original mix uh, as the Beatles intended it. And then listen to the, the remix. I think the remix adds a little meat to the bones and uh, makes it feel like more of a rocker. But listen to them both. And then every Friday, I will post at HeroHabit.com. I will post a recap of all the week's episodes where I will have all the songs we discuss on this podcast in one spot for you to go into and uh, and figure out, you know, listen to them all together. The, the podcast is also streaming there. So you can go in there, listen to them all listen to the podcast and all that in one spot. So that will post on Friday at herohabit.com. Join me tomorrow. We're going back to the kinks. We're going to one of my favorite kinks albums and uh, a song that I kind of hinted at uh, yesterday with the sweet lady Genevieve, a song that is both fast and slow at the same time. And I look forward to talking to you about how that's even possible. If you're liking this podcast, make sure to subscribe wherever you subscribe. Uh, as of this release, I know it's not on iTunes yet. It's still pending approval. But once it gets there, please like it, review it, rate it five stars, 
and subscribe to it. It helps us out. And the more people we get to listen, um, the more of these I can make. And then make sure to swing by herohabit.com. The brackets for the best Beatles songs and the best Kinks songs are still open for voting. So get over there. All right. I will talk to you guys tomorrow as we hit the next Kinks song in our ongoing series, Kinks and Beats Daily. Thank you. Follow me um, over at Hero Habit on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Enough. I'll talk to you tomorrow. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.